You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Wednesday, 1 March, first day of the new tax year and your tax-free annual limit resets. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Andrew Dow's Portfolio Manager, CounterPoint Asset Management. Remember we chatted with CoreShares, they're shutting down their preference share ETF when they've essentially got a, it's an, it's an income fund, but a majority of it is preference shares. We'll get some understanding around that. Wandili Shalobo, Chief Economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa. The livestock industry, we chat all the time around agricultural farming, but not livestock. I thought, let's get some insights to that. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Disaster regulations cut red tape, prioritize electricity supply to essential sectors. Regulations kicked in on 27 Feb, but no date given for the termination of the state of disaster. Business day rise in private sector credit demand tops forecast. January's 8.4% year-on-year rise overshoots 7.5% after growth slows for the previous three months. Morning markets, uh, the US was red with the S&P down uh, 0.3%, NASDAQ off a tenth of a percent, Asia's green, Sydney 0.6% higher, Tokyo uh, literally a few points higher, which effectively is 0%. Uh, Commodities green overnight, gold 1,836, Brent 83.81, Platinum 960, Palladium 1,430, Rand 18.30, Bitcoin 23,400, 10 cent is up 5.7% in Hong Kong. And we're looking for about a 470-point green open on the top 40. That is two-thirds of a percent. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Training now with uh, Andrew Dazza, he's Portfolio Manager, CounterPoint Asset Management. Andrew, appreciate the early morning time. As I said in my intro there, we had chatted with CoreShares. They're shutting down their preference share ETF uh, later this year. Or they're converting it, rather, I suppose, is the accurate term. And, and, and one of your colleagues made, uh, messaged me and said, hang on, your uh, uh, CounterPoint Flexible Income Fund is actually predominantly uh, preference shares. Yes, good morning, Simon, and good morning to the listeners. That's quite right. Uh, so we've gone through, um, a, you know, a similar experience where we noted that there's been a number of preference share issuances that have been bought back mm-hmm. uh, by banks predominantly, um, and so we went through a process of also remandating our fund, um, and that's allowed us flexibility to continue managing the fund as far and as long as possible in the intention that the investors want to use the fund. So we know that a lot of the investors using preference shares are using it often for tax reasons, where you get a enhanced uh, yield on the fund, but you obviously get beneficial tax rates if you're sensitive to tax uh, issues. So so we've managed to continue running our fund, uh, but we've broadened the mandate that we can include other asset classes now, although to date we haven't needed to utilize those. So 
yeah, we're just uh, quite happy to keep running the fund as it is. And you're more flexible in the sense that this is a, an actively managed. So, I mean, for example, your top two holdings, both at what 19.6 and 19, is is ABSA preference and Santa Bank pref. You you don't have the constraints of of the passive investors. You can go a little overweight in what are frankly high quality preference shares. Yes, that's right. So you know we, um, unfortunately, running an ETF, you know, you have to uh, exactly mirror what the mm. index says that you must must own um but often you can get caught into situations where there's no liquidity in one of those constituents mm-hmm. um and and so it really becomes quite difficult to manage um whereas as an active fund you know if there's no liquidity and the price is not right then we don't need to buy that instrument and we can rather go overweight where there's better valuation and as you mentioned you know those two constituents uh one each of them are the big four banks um, and high quality operations, highly regulated also. Mm. So, you know, um, we went through the whole COVID uh, event and whilst many companies stopped paying their ordinary dividends, all of the preference shares and in particular, all the bank preference shares continued paying their dividends. Yeah, and that's the beauty of a preference share. It's just that. It gets preference on, on, on dividend. You can't pay the equity until you've paid the preference dividend. Distributions, obviously, a, a big point here. Uh, I, I, are they coming through as, as a, a, a dividends? Because, of course, that's the tax benefit. Yeah, so that's the benefit of, of keeping the funders fully invested in preference shares, as, which we have mm-hmm. chosen to do. And, you know, really just providing some context to the asset class at the moment, um, rising interest rates are beneficial for preference shares. Yeah. So preference shares are, are priced or the income that it generates is priced off prime interest rates. Um, and as those rise, so your income actually starts to rise. And as that income rises, the asset class becomes more attractive to people seeking that income. And so we've also seen some capital appreciation Obviously, a lot of the capital appreciation has come on the back of speculation that the remaining banks may buy back their mm-hmm. preference shares too. Um, but, you know, standing where we are today, the clean forward yield for our fund at least is around 11.4%. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a very attractive forward yield. Mm-hmm. And with the prospects of further higher interest rates may elevate that yield even further. 11.4, that, that is absolutely chunky. Uh, what is your distributions? Is it is it coming through quarterly? Sorry, they, the fund distributes quarterly, yes. Okay, uh, I see that. April, July, October, January, uh, income payment date, first business day of each. We'll leave that there. It's Andrew Dow's Portfolio Manager, CounterPoint Asset Management. We're chatting there around an alternative, the, the CounterPoint uh, Flexible Income Fund, with uh, with preference shares, particularly in the, in, in the passive space. Some big constraints, as Andrew's saying there. They have that flexibility. They don't have that. Forward yield, 11.4%. That is chunky. Andrew, appreciate the early morning time. Your money gives a damn. If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money.
I'm chatting with Wendili Schlober, Chief Economist at AgBiz. Uh, Wendili, appreciate the time today. You and I have chatted a lot over the years. One area we have never spoken about before is is livestock farming in, in South Africa, which I'm fairly sure is probably a, a very important part of our broader agricultural sector. Absolutely, Simon. We've been skipping an important part because, I mean, if you think about the gross value added of South Africa's agricultural sector, roughly half of that is livestock. So it's an important part of this, and I'm glad that we can speak about it. Half of it. I hadn't. I hadn't realized that it, it was quite that big. I mean, is this is this a, a, a totally for for internal, or are we also exporting? I mean, we we this is a sector that we are doing relatively far well for for some time, and I mean. We're continuing now to see the exports. And in fact, if you were to look at the 2021 figures, we had seen our exports uh, for beef reaching the record levels where we were exporting just over 60,000 tons. And of course, that was growth that we saw um, a lot over the past five years or so, because in years before that, we used to be just producing enough to, to meet our annual needs. And of course, when you think about the poultry sector still looking more broadly about the livestock industry now, livestock and poultry. In a poultry, we remain net importers, but in the livestock red meat, we are now uh, net exporters onto that. But Simon, I must say though that while we talk about the issue of exports, the past year in livestock industry has been extremely difficult for a number of reasons. And there's... Yeah, those reasons being, because I was going to say drought, but I, I, we've had really good rainfall, so not, not, not rainfall issues. It's not rainfall issues, Simon, but it's higher feed costs, mm. with maize prices that have uh, risen uh, uh, quite significantly. And the second issue is the foot and mouth disease, which has meant that now those exports that we have enjoyed over the past few years were not there last year as we were kicked out of some of the key markets because of this foot and mouth disease. How is the, the foot and mouth disease? Is, is that coming under control? I, I lived in KZN way back in the day and I actually lived in a foot and mouth diseased area in KZN um, and I remember all the controls in place. I mean, have, we, have we got that under control? Not really under control for now, Simon, but I, I do think that what has increased its surveillance of looking into it and the government mapping up those areas and working with uh, farmers to try to control it. But it had spread last year to six of our nine provinces, which is something that we hadn't seen before. Okay, that, that, that is getting a, 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 not, not out of control, but I suppose a, definitely a concern for, for the sector. You, you, you mentioned beef is the big one, of course, uh, poultry, although we, we get imports of, of poultry in that space. What else is there? I mean, there's obviously pork, I mean, mutton, I mean, are, are the other sort of uh, uh, livestock significant in our life? They, they are fairly significant, uh, Simon, and they face also similar challenges. Because if you think about our friends in the Northern Cape, mm-hmm. they've struggled with quite uh, a number of years of drought. And in fact, there's interesting work that has been done by my colleagues at Stellenbosch University, Professor Johan Kirsten, where they were looking at slaughtering levels and profitability of the Karu sheep farming. And over the past two or three years, those folks have actually been under financial pressure because of those droughts and the decline in slaughtering numbers. And if you look in last year now, in much of the Eastern Cape, this foot and mouth disease that has been in the livestock industry has actually affected also even sheep farmers in regards to the exports because key markets like China, mm-hmm. which takes up just over 70% of our wool exports, had decided for some time last year that, look, we have to take a step back 
and look at the South Africa situation. And they blocked our exports for about two or three months or so. And at the time, there were some financial pressures, but thankfully, towards the end of last year, they lifted the ban and we were able to export. How, how important are those, those byproducts? I mean, of course, we think livestock, we, we, we think beef, we think, you know, the pork and the chicken on our, on our table, but there's, there's byproducts. There's, there's wool from sheep. There's, you know, in, in the, in the beef space, there's, there's the skins, which, which can be leather. Th- those byproducts, Simon, they make enormous contribution, especially when you think about it, even in a, in a, in a less of a big numbers that we typically talk about in the world of finance, but in community, uh, perspective impact. I mean, in the Eastern Cape, you will appreciate the fact that you have roughly about 24% or so of the sheep farmers and the light and the cattle sitting with black farmers there. Mm-hmm. And they produce these at a smallholder level. And they know that in, in certain months, they sell their wool to the market. And all of that uh, usually makes a significant impact at a, on financing at a household level. So those byproducts are very important. How big is the, 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 the small producers in this space? Or is it, as most agriculture the world over, dominated by, by, by large uh, farmers? When it comes to livestock, actually, Simon, you find that uh, the, 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 the small producers uh, are quite play a significant role there. As I was saying, if you think about the cattle industry, you think about the sheep industry, a point can be made that, that uh, roughly a third of that you would find that it's still sitting with smallholder farmers, which is why then the interventions like, for example, ensuring that there are some genetic improvements that are put in place in those areas is always useful because once you do that, you actually make uh, a positive impact to a larger part of our society. Yeah, that almost in a sense. I mean, because my next question is going to be... you was going to be around sort of the, the employment numbers in the industry. But perhaps the, the, the bigger point is the employment is impo- important. But I imagine to a lot of the, the smaller and more rural, this isn't around employment. This is around income for the household and perhaps the only source of income. Absolutely. That, that's the bigger part of this because this is for them about the, the income for the household level. But, and for much of these farmers, I mean, they, they go on for the whole year doing the other things. And knowing that when it comes to uh, the sharing months, mm-hmm. there will be some source of income that will actually come to the household. So it, it plays an important share uh, for, for them onto that. And of course, the employment condition and the bigger scheme of things, they are also an important component of what we're doing here. But, but I do think, as you rightly said, there's a lot um, uh, to, to, to be gained by just supporting these new entrant farmers. We'll leave it there. Wandili Shalobo, Chief Economist at Agbiz. Wandili, always appreciate the time. And that's our poll today on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, talking the livestock industry. And as I said up front, it, it, it's a it's a it's an important part of our economy, but something we'd never touched on. Hence, we got Wendelia, and we asked if this is a sector that you're interested in. Uh, perhaps you have been for a while. Perhaps need more information. Of course, not much in the listed space. We've got the suppliers, the carp agries, and and the like, and and they're benefiting it from it. But we don't have. We did once upon a time, for example, uh, have a company who basically made leather, and they, they sold to the the vehicle. OMEs. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanlip Kanisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlip.com forward slash more. Stanley Bassett Management is an authorized financial services provider.
MoneyWeb now on the money. That's it for today. Uh, yesterday we were chatting with uh, Francis Maria from Morningstar Investment Management South Africa, talking the impact of our grey listing. Uh, he made a great point that you know we had gone from 67 uh, problem areas down to eight, and those eight are largely around the prosecution process. That remains our weakness, and I think I think we can all agree. Uh, look out the window. Not enough uh, uh, people in orange jumpsuits. Perhaps we asked you uh, how bad will this be for the local economy, and it was pretty much evenly split between the three options. Time will tell uh, it's a complete disaster and not the end of the world. I, I think, I mean, it, 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 it's not an absolute disaster, but it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not ideal. It's not the end of the world, but it's far from ideal. It's one of those things that we really should have been able to avoid. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobokhle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. Cash build results. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.